Hey everyone, welcome back to the Eminem Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. It is Wednesday afternoon while we're recording, so there's a pair of Game 4s on tonight. Obviously, one is Toronto and the other one is the Edmonton series. Um, so we won't talk too much about those series, uh, mainly because there's just not much. Like, Toronto hasn't played a game since we last recorded. Uh, Edmonton did. Their schedule's got- fucked. It, it's so weird, eh? Like, I, I can't remember the last time I've seen two full days off between multiple days. Hey, multiple well, games back to back. Like, I know there's more going on scheduling-wise, but if they play last night, it should have lined up. Then they play Thursday. Then they play Saturday for Hockey Night in Canada. Like, they went out of their way to get them Hockey Night in Canada in the first round. It seems odd that they've gone out of their way to ensure that they don't get it in the second round. Yeah, and, like, I know last weekend it was maybe a rumor about something about... um I, I don't know. Like, I, it was something about their owner wanted to watch the Derby or something like that. But then I don't know why the need for this break between games three and four, because it's not like they share an arena with the Heat or anything like that. Like, they're in two separate arenas. So I don't – maybe Toronto had a – I don't know if the Scotiabank had a concert or something. But even then, like, I just – I don't understand it. But um, nevertheless – It's a sleeps playoffs game. You think that would be king, Yeah, right? like, even even – Maybe the Florida one had a concert or something. Because I was even just thinking, let's say, because, yeah, if they would, they were, should have gone, if they played Sunday, go Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. I was thinking if there's something busy on Thursday, you would still play on Tuesday and then have the travel day be the, the day off. But I, I don't know. doesn't make much sense to me, but whatever. Um, not much to talk about on that front. That'll obviously be a, a big talking point of our next episode because there'll be either one or two games played since then, um, you know, once we record again Sunday night, Monday afternoon, sometime around then. So um, the other three series going on have had a game, uh, at least one game. Uh, Edmonton had only one, but they uh, we kind of talked about them a little bit on our last, last podcast. But Vegas flips the switch for game three. Uh, Edmonton wins 5-1 in game two. Vegas puts that right back. Uno reverse card on them, 5-1 in game three. Uh, I didn't get to watch this side of that ball, but it never looked particularly close and uh Stuart Skinner has been quietly not good in these playoffs yeah he's been pretty awful it's been you're right it has not been talked about much but it's very helpful for Vegas right now yeah like he's walking an 888 and I know he got pulled in the one LA game and then kind of looked fine for the rest of the series but wasn't really the difference maker or anything like that but um yeah, like it's and it's funny too because you know you'd say if there was goaltending concerns, it'd probably be your your mind would naturally jump to the team that's starting their third stringer Aiden Hill in net right now. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's not. But yeah, Vegas Bersois goes down in Game Three. Um, Vegas has already confirmed Aiden Hill starting tonight, so it'll be interesting how that goes. It's really interesting. I feel like like Quick's not injured, right? They're just using Jonathan Quick as their fourth string goalie. Yep, I think so. Which, I'm I'm not surprised if you told me Logan a healthy Logan Thompson versus Jonathan Quick that they go with Thompson. He's been their guy all year. I'm honestly not even surprised they would go with Brassois over Thompson. I'm a little surprised they would go with Aiden Hill, but I guess they also did like Aiden. I guess I'm just, I'm just kind of confused why they went with Jonathan brought Jonathan Quick in at all. Like it didn't cost them anything, but well, that's the thing. It's just like. It makes sense to not like quick, but also you went out of your way to trade for him. Like I know it didn't cost you anything, but like 
cost you time and a contract slot and all that stuff at the trade deadline when you're a cup contender. Like that's yeah, not like, nothing. It, yeah. It was still costing what? 2 million in caps. Maybe not even, but like you probably could have. I think it was a million. Like it was cheap or whatever, but I don't you know. Probably could have found like a 15th floor, 14th forward for that price. I, yeah. Dream bigger I, than a fourth goalie. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Cause on one hand I go, I also then go on like, how often have we seen a team get down to the third or fourth string goalies in the playoffs? And it's like, if you're wheeling Jonathan Quick as your fourth goalie, I mean, obviously it is absolutely not ideal that you were on your fourth goalie, but there's, even with how bad Quick is, there's probably worse options to have. But yeah, on the other hand, I go, I would have to imagine an eighth or ninth defenseman or a 14th or 15th forward would be a little more helpful than that, but I don't know. Yeah, I think you could even get a roster player, but yeah, I don't know. That was weird from the moment they did it. Yeah. Um, one of the big things with this series, and again, I haven't really, I watched all game two, which was absolute slaughter on Edmonton's uh, behalf. And then I didn't get to watch a bunch of one or three, but one of the things that people have kind of brought up is um, this series kind of going how, like, I, I feel like if you've told me how the, how it's played out so far, whereas when Edmonton gets power plays, they dominate and it's been no problem. But at <laughs> yeah. five on five, Vegas is outplaying them. If you told me that at the beginning of the series, you'll, yep, that seems right about accurate. Yeah, follow the script now. I, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely fair. I thought Edmonton might be able to outplay them at five on five. I don't know. Yeah, I wasn't like, again, if you told me that it was even or, yeah, like, especially having McDavid and Dryside all in separate lines meant they would outplay them. I wouldn't be shocked either, but like the Golden Knights, this Golden Knights team is built on possession. Again, they're kind of another sneaky, they're not as aggressive as Seattle because they do have the high-end talent in Jack Eichel and Stone and and they don't have the same depth as Seattle, but they are built on the same kind of motto of they run four lines and and that's how they'll try and beat you. Yeah, they're kind of just super supercharged Seattle. Like, I don't know exactly what Petrangelo's performance has been like, but like, Shea Fedor is better than in a bigger name than anyone Seattle has. Stone and Eichel are better than McCann and uh, whoever you would pick as Seattle's next best or forward. Kind of thing. Everly depends on the uh, maybe even Baneers. Like, yeah, I was gonna say Everly, just biggest name for sure. I don't know if he's exactly the, but yeah, you get the idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, again, like that's why the Golden Knights were a better team this year than Seattle and would be favored against them as well. But yeah, um, it is the same kind of idea, I think, with Vegas where, yeah, like I think, you know, I was surprised about how well Edmonton's depth did last round. And, and I don't think it's been like crippling them this this round or anything like that. But yeah, if you told me Vegas at five on five is just a better system and just you know, with the exception of there's obviously going to be the McDavid and Dreisaitl plays where they, they beat you because they're just that good. Um, yeah, I, I guess I, I wouldn't have been absolutely shocked. Um, and then the other talking point from what I've understood, just listening to a couple of hip hits from Edmonton Radio too, has been uh, Edmonton's D is coming under fire. And to that, I would say, wow, who could have saw that coming? Um, answer, most people outside of the Edmonton market. Yeah. But, um, and it's weird too, because like, yeah, Evan Bouchard didn't have a really good game in game three. He had made a couple defensive mistakes, but it's like, ugh, they probably have bigger issues than Evan Bouchard, who's got 14 points in nine games. Yes, 100%. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I, I think, you know, I would expect a response from Edmonton tonight. Um, they seem like a team that, generally speaking, 
and even if you don't want to classify the whole team, but McDavid and Drysidle are two people alone that will just go, no, we're gonna we're gonna take this game into our own hands and we're not gonna lose yeah. it. So um yeah, we'll be fine. Yeah, I'd be uh I don't I could easily see them tying it up tonight. I, I think this will go six or seven uh regardless. I, I would be a little surprised definitely if we're recording on Sunday or well, I mean, I guess there is an avenue where this series goes six and recording Sunday at night and it's done, but um I don't know. I, I think generally speaking, I would be a little surprised if uh, this game and this series ends on Friday, you know? It feels pretty destined to go the distance. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, I, like, even last year when they got swept by Edmonton, I was just so stunned because it's like, or by Colorado, sorry. Um, I was just almost stunned because it's like, how, like, it's so impressive to beat Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl four times in a row. And like, it's kind granted, of hilarious, eh? yeah, like it, it is. And like, granted, last year, Dreisaitl by the even the start of the playoffs was basically yeah. playing on one leg, so it was a he little was different. Struggling. I forgot about that, yeah. But that's why I just like it's so hard to beat this Edmonton team, right? So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. I think if Edmonton can get average going uh, goaltending from Stuart Skinner, I still really do like their chances in this series, but you give up a five spot every night, and it probably won't work out quite as well. Yeah, it doesn't matter how how bad or good your power play is. You're uh, you're probably screwed if that's what you're letting in. And you want to shift to a team that's experiencing that pretty heavily. The New Jersey Devils yeah. goaltending luck has run out. Yeah, we, it was uh, a cool round one. But, yeah, uh, we... Go ahead, yeah. Oh, just... just it, they are who they thought we were. Or yeah. who we thought they were kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, we uh, we kind of talked about it on Sunday as well. You know, they they come off an eight four win against the Hurricanes, and and I said they'll probably keep Bam and checking that, even though I didn't think he played particularly well in that game. And game four, they give up a six spot and lose six to one in a game where they they let up. Yeah, I think, he got pulled too, didn't he? Yep, I yeah, like uh, yeah, he took the loss as well. Um, yeah, twelve goal, or five goals on seventeen shots, not great. You know, um, a seven hundred save know. percentage. So I don't like I this is the other extreme of it where I yeah if you would have told me the devils are gonna give up uh what is it? it's been 12, 6, 21 goals in four games, I would have gone that seems a little aggressive, but uh credit to the Hurricanes, man, who apparently have been said that they don't have depth is a thing that uh, was a take online the other night. Um I guess it was a tweet anyways that uh, if people didn't see it, um I guess the ESPN broadcast had mentioned I wasn't listening. I didn't hear what they exactly said, but I guess they had brought it up twice about how people, I don't know. Like I just genuinely don't know what they said, but there was a, a take online that said, um, can we put the narrative? The Canes don't have a lot of depth continues to be such a lazy national narrative. I think the team is showing they might in fact have more depth than anyone. Yeah. Which is the most, lukewarm take in the world that the Canes have good depth. The only thing you could say about the Hurricanes for about 12 years is that they've had good depth. Yeah, for like the entire time we've known what the hockey analytics community is. They've been the deepest team in the league. Yeah, because like for the entirety of 2014-ish to 2018, they were just known as a five-on-five or like of course, he they were XG team. merchants. Yeah. yeah, of course. Actually, yeah, they were. They were it for so long. It was Corsi originally, not XG. 
Yeah, like that's how we knew this team for the the first like half of the 2010s or whatever. And it's just like, and then the the past couple of years, it's been well, do they have the elite talent to truly get them over the hill? As as we kind of watch, you know, uh, Nikasha and Aho and even Slavin develop it into players, and then. This year, the, the simple question was not, do they have like really good slash elite players to be a contending team? That was an obvious yes. It was when Pacioretty is done for the season, doesn't end up playing for them, which they had budgeted a cap space for. Uh, when Svechnikov leaves two weeks before the season, Tivu Teravainen's yeah, Exactly. Teravainen's their the third best winger. Third or fourth best winger. Yeah, he's out for the entire playoffs. Um, those were the questions of, can you get over losing all three of those players and still be a contending team. And that's a rightful question to ask. Yep. Yeah. That's as reasonable as you could possibly get. It turns out when teams miss a whole bunch of their good players, you expect them to get worse like that. I don't know. I would, I would feel comfortable making that take again. Yeah. And like, and good for them. They are proving that right now they can. And and like, again, I'm sure they're probably another team that kind of, licks their lips a little bit at the thought of getting to a conference final and not having to face any one of Boston, Tampa, or Toronto. Yeah, they're probably pretty thrilled that. They could be... No, they would they be favored over Florida? Um, no. Probably not, right? Probably, I would say that's probably got to be a 50-50 series. I guess yeah. it also depends like how... Aggressive, the model likes goaltending and doesn't trust like Frederick Anderson in that. Does it like Anti Rantamore, Kachekov at all? Like, but even on the other end, yeah. like Bobrovsky, even with a 9 15 over two weeks of playoffs, that's not going to erase two and a half, three years of bad play. Yeah, the model probably won't care a ton about Bob's playoffs. I wouldn't have to think. Yeah, so. Um, but yeah, Carolina's up 3-1 on the Devils. Uh, I took the Devils in seven, but I I've, yeah, obviously don't feel good about that pick anymore. <laughs> I don't know. Part of me still thinks the Devils at least have to get one more here. But this is one I, I, I don't know. Like, if you told me this series ends tomorrow night, I, I, wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be shocked just the way it's gone. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. Um, it's, you know, I, it looks like it's bound to do that. Mm-hmm, yeah, I, I hope it goes longer. I mean, one of the things that people rightly point out is we'll get into the final series in a second. It's kind of the second round has been deflating compared to how awesome the first round was. Well, the first round, there was, I guess, Vegas Winnipeg wasn't the most exciting series, but even then had some close games, a couple like the double overtime game, triple overtime game, or whatever it was. Like it had at least a couple good moments in it, but and every other series was absolutely amazing. This has been. Outside of Toronto, Florida, which, like, you know, obviously, I'm not, I'm not even poking fun here. Those games have legitimately been close for all three games. Every other game, every other series has basically just been blowout after blowout after blowout. Yeah, I think deflating is a good, good way to describe it. Like, it's just been boring. It's not like it's been, I mean, I guess boring and bad are kind of the same thing when you're an entertainment product. But, like, I don't know. Yeah, it's just been underwhelming. Like aggressively yeah, like, disappointing. Yeah, it it hasn't. I don't want to call it bad, but yeah, it's just been lopsided. It's not bad in the sense that every team is about to four nothing sweep or anything like that. But like we're getting this crack in Dallas series. The first game was awesome, five four in overtime. There was like six goals in the first period, just absolutely mayhem. 
Second game, 4-2. Dallas kind of felt like they had that one in the bag the entire game. They got up 2-0, then 4-1, and, you know, Seattle made a 4-2 midway through the third. Well, Seattle turns around and absolutely clobbers Dallas 7-2 on Sunday night. Um, you know, we were recording when that one was going on. That one ended up just getting out of hand for Seattle. And then last night, Dallas turns around and wins 6-3 in a game again where they score four in the second period, are up 5-1 after two. Never really feels like Dallas is going to lose that game. So three of their four games have just kind of been like, you know, like it's a 2-2 series. But yeah, the, it's just been not the most entertaining hockey all the way down to the third period or whatever. We already mentioned Carolina, New Jersey. All four of those games have been blowouts. Um, and then or, uh, Vegas and um, Edmonton has been two blowouts. And then game one was, uh, I that one wasn't a blowout by any means, 6-4. But even that one, like, I don't know, I was watching it and Vegas gets up 3-1. And then Edmonton did tie it in the third. So I guess you can consider that one a good game. That, that one was close now that I said. That one was a like, good game. But we're down to two out of, what? 11 games or whatever of those three series that I can say are even like entertainingly close. Like it's just been, yeah, deflating is the best way I can describe it. Yeah. Yeah. Just super underwhelming. Yeah. So hopefully it turns around tonight. And again, like even this leaf series, I, again, I don't want to talk too much about it because I'm sure we'll, it'll be a long discussion point on Sunday, regardless <laughs> of the outcomes. Um, yeah. But I like, I generally want to see this, series live on just for a i think it has been you know good hockey to watch it's been close games and stuff like that and b i want to see you know just how the narrative if you're not a leaf fan (laughs) yeah well but even like games one and two were like objectively fun games oh yeah they were fun they were very fun yeah and even like game three i mean it wasn't fun i'm sure to like it was disappointing if you're a leaf fan of how they came out and played but again it was a close game that had ups and downs in it or whatever so um yeah but yeah like i i want to see four more of those games and especially because I want to see just how the narrative twists and turns as the series goes on. I, it would be a real letdown if they lose this game, if they, they come out tonight and just roll over and die, really. like, Yeah, it, it really feels like it's going to be one way or the other, too, right? Like, they're either going to come out and absolutely destroy them, I think, or they're just going to get killed. Like, it's yeah. going to be Montreal Game 7. You're going to know from two minutes in that they're done. It's going to be pathetic and sad. Yeah, like I, I could definitely see that as well. So um, yeah, we'll we'll definitely see how that goes. Um, I don't have too much more on the um, stars and Kraken, other than you know I we were recording when I saw Heist going to take a puck off the face. Um, classic hockey bashing. He's back already. He was wearing a full uh, face mask. Thank God the other night. Um, and they said even the game three he would have come back if it wasn't a lopsided game, but it was like. 5-1 by the time he was ready to come back. So um, they left him out, which is the smart thing to do. Um, so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm just trying to think, is there anything else you want to touch on in any of those four series? No, I don't want to touch the least one. So. <laughs> yeah, I just to say, they haven't even played a game. We'll, we'll definitely, I would say, yeah. there'll be lots to talk about on our next episode with them for sure. Yeah, they'll probably get basically a full episode to themselves, depending on, I mean, what's definitely the most likely thing to happen at this point. You talk yourself into that. We'll see how it goes. Uh, oh, oh, what a stupid team. 
<laughs> Before we move on to some uh, news that has happened since our last episode, we'd like to give a shout out to our sponsors at Athletic Greens. Their signature AG1 is perfect for daily nutrients and gut health support. AG1 solves two of the most important health needs, the nutrients your body needs each day uh, for the foundation of long-term gut health. Uh, together, they fuel whole body health, impacting everything from sleep, digestion, energy, mood, immunity, to the health of your hair, skin, and nails. Simply follow the link in our show description today uh, to get started. All right, so there has definitely been some news since we last recorded, which uh, felt like a while there. There wasn't a ton of news from podcast to podcast, but, you know, just to naturally with the offseason stuff, we're getting going. And uh, I would definitely say the draft lottery was the biggest uh um news of the week uh, obviously we had talked about um a little bit just um the other night um when we were recording on Sunday I guess it was uh, and we now have the results so we know that Connor Bedard is 99.999% sure to be a Chicago Blackhawk uh with the Columbus Blue Jackets uh or sorry Anaheim getting the second selection and Columbus getting the third selection um before we get into this, like I, I think it, it is important to bring up, and people rightfully have brought up this week, um, you know, the repercussions or the lack of repercussions is a better way probably to put it of the whole Kyle Beach situation. Um, and, you know, the fact that you can probably rightfully ask if they should have been in this um, position anyways, just given, you know, we've seen the Arizona Coyotes, they forfeited two first round picks in a row for for um, testing players before they were drafted, which, you know, obviously is a much less serious offense than, than what has happened in Chicago, um, you know, and, and everything that went on with the Kyle Beach situation. Um, so, you know, I, I, I thought it was important to acknowledge that definitely. Um, yeah. That being said, like there's, you know, it's important to acknowledge it, remember it happened so it can never happen again and, and keep them honest to make steps going forward. But for the sake of the podcast, like there's, there's not much more we can say than that, obviously. Um, so I'm going to yeah. choose to look at it mostly on ice um, and, and talk about it, you know, from them. And, and again, like if, if you're not comfortable listening to that, I had absolutely no, yeah, exactly. Well, neither of us would blame anyone. So, um, you know, if you want to skip a couple minutes ahead, that that's totally okay. Um, you know, but I think it is important also, you know, because they are an on ice team still to touch what this means on ice for the franchise. Um, and the league as a whole. Yep, exactly. Right. Like, this um, is a very, this is the most meaningful RNG simulator we've had. And since Ma- Matthews? Matthews, maybe yeah. Hughes, depending on like with hindsight now, but yeah, Hughes uh, with hindsight, but like going in, we get to know for sure this is the most meaningful sense Matthews yeah like no offense to um um <laughs> hey, you know it's bad when I can't even name who was the first overall pick like it was Slavkovsky right yeah yes yeah like no offense to him or anything but it's not like yeah like this is a lot bigger with Connor Bedard and the going. leverage can't be ignored Chicago's what the second biggest American market like hockey market they're up there. It would be New York as easily number one. And then it would probably be Chicago, Chicago. Philly, Boston's up there as well. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Yeah, around there. Yeah. But yeah, like there. And then LA, I think, is just kind of naturally up there with the mass of people they have. But um, 
yeah, like top four, top three for sure, I would say. Top four. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when you count for the leverage, it's definitely the biggest since the the Matthews lottery, just because the Leafs being involved, Chicago's on that kind of level, right? Yep. Which is why, of course, it happened, you know, um, because I needed to read uh, the 100,000 tweets about how this is totally rigged. Um that's what I wanted to spend my Monday night doing. Um, we've been over this. The NHL is not smart enough to rig the lottery, or Connor McDavid would have been a Toronto Maple Leaf. It's yeah, just that been simple. A, a coyote. Like, yeah, the fact that it, people genuinely believe the lottery is rigged is insane. It's crazy. And like, I know some people were doing it tongue in cheek or whatever, but like, yeah, but like a lot of people were serious. Oh, yeah, there was like a lot of people like, oh, I knew it. It's like, well. They had a 19% chance of this happen. Like, this wasn't like they were this um, 12th. They went the Vancouver Canucks with a 0.5% chance or whatever, right? Like, Yeah, they're the third worst team in the league, and they won the lottery. Yeah. Like New York like, won two in a row despite being all right. Yeah, well, people tell you that's rigged as well to give the New York the, the, the other big market. But, yeah, yeah I don't know. Like, I, great those picks did New York. Yeah, like I just – Math is hard, right? So, um, <laughs> like, I guess the human brain just fundamentally cannot comprehend randomness, right? Like, I guess this is just a great example of that. Yeah, absolutely. And like, it feels like in this day and age, too, like everything's got to be some kind of conspiracy, you know? So, yeah, every lottery's rigged, every account's a burner for someone, every, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Nothing so. can be meaningless. Yeah, exactly. Um, in a world where almost everything is meaningless. Like you're <laughs> just inundated with so much goddamn information and we think it all has to be useful. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, for the actual like draft standpoint, I mean, obviously it's Bedard that's going to the Blackhawks. That's not going to be a question. Um, you know, from their franchise standpoint, it, it is huge. And um, again, just from an on-ice standpoint, like I'm really curious from an on-ice standpoint what they do with this rebuild going forward. Cause you know, they situated themselves in a great position to kind of, even if they lost this lottery and, you know, we talked about how they, they would be an interesting team where if they got second or even third, they would probably be a great team to take Mitchkov because of the position they're in over the next couple of years, this draft, they have two first round picks, their own in Tampa's. They have four second round picks, their own, the Rangers, the Sens and Tampa's. So their own two teams that were out in the first and one that is not even made the playoffs. They have two third-round picks of their own fourth, their own fifth, their own seventh. Next year, they have a first, their own first, obviously, and they also have Tampa's first, which is conditional. I think it's lottery protected, which would slide to 2025 if they that they don't get it. They already have two seconds. They already have two thirds. They have Calgary's fifth, and they have a sixth and a seventh. In 2025, they have their own first and Toronto's first-round pick. Um, which is also conditional, I think, lottery protected, which so it could slide to 2026. They already have two seconds for 2025, and they already have two fourths for 2025 as well. This team has done an amazing job. Like Kyle Davis has done a very, very good job of massing draft picks um, since he's took over. And you mentioned last week how he's opened. They were very said, prepared to lose this lottery, which ties yes. into what you were about to say. Yeah, exactly. Which is good he, rebuilding, right? You should very good. It. And as you said With last week. Kyle Davidson for a year now has been saying we are rebuilding, which has clearly been the plan. And that's something that they have followed through with and put themselves in a good position to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They've done kind of just followed the textbook, right? The tear, it, tear down what you can. Yep. Be bad. 
get a bunch of picks. The interesting thing to me now is with Bedard is how they kind of approach the next couple of years. And well, so it puts do. them in an interesting spot. Yeah, because they are not prepared for Bedard as no. on the eye, like to insulate him, right? Which no, is it's, it's as weird as that sounds, right? Like, and like even less from an insulating because I think you can go get veterans, you can like yeah. step on for a million bucks this offseason or whatever, and be like, and go just get let cr- die on your feet. Yeah, like yeah. go get crushed <laughs> as our number one C, dude. Like, but, yeah. what I'm more curious about is that they now have Connor Bedard, which I'm I'm really want to know how and, and like I, I there's no answer to this, but like how much does that raise their ceiling as a team or their floor sorry as a team? Because they to me are still a team that could use another year or two of being bad to really get another big prospect or two. Um and you know like we we've seen teams obviously Toronto when Matthews came in it wasn't just Matthews Nylander played his full first year Hyman played his full first year Marner played his full first year and you know that put a significant boost to the team to the point where they made the playoffs but McDavid came in his first year and the only reason the Oilers finished you know bottom ten was because he broke his collarbone and yep. that I don't even know who they ended up drafting that year to be perfectly honest oh uh, no that would have been Puliyarvi wasn't it. Was it play RV? Yeah, I it was so, 2016, yeah. right after McDavid. You're right. Yeah. So, you know, that obviously didn't end up working as they would have hoped, but, you know, it looked like it was going to work out well for them. Um, you know, obviously the Blackhawks would take Bedard, and if it means they're picking seventh next year instead of fourth, they're not going to complain about that. Um, I'm just, you know, I, it, it puts them in a very curious spot because, yeah, out of honestly all of the teams, especially compared to Anaheim and Columbus, in my opinion, they were maybe the least ready, is it? Yeah, least ready, I guess. Is yeah, the they're the least ready. Yeah, they to, just to get started it. the rebuild. Yeah, exactly. So, um, again, not a bad thing. And worse thing, than but... just starting the rebuild, Stan Bowman like, was trading picks when he left to try to make the team competitive, right? How many years ago do you think they gave up a first-round pick? In the it draft? was two years ago, wasn't it? Was it was two years ago that they... Yeah. Uh, it, um, uh, it wasn't Arizona. Arizona got Vancouver's. Um, it was Columbus, Columbus right? Yeah, yeah, it's the Cole Cylinder pick, is it not? Um, well, Cole Cylinder might have been their own pick, but was it Cole Cylinder or was it Ken Johnson? That's a good question. Either of them would be very helpful for the Blackhawks. Yes, yeah, I uh, I completely. They would be the the second best prospect presently in their system. Or was it David Jiracek last year? Columbus had two first last year. No, oh, Chicago. Was it the oh my gosh. Why am I Seth Jones trade? Here we go. Seth Jones trade to the Blackhawks by the Blue Jackets. Let's see what they got. Blue Jackets received a first round pick number 12 in the 2021 entry draft and a first round pick in the 2022 entry draft. So yeah, it was Jiracek. Oh, I that didn't realize Denton that. Denton but I'm pretty sure 12th. Columbus finished 12th with the 12th pick in uh, 2022. Yeah, I think it was your check. That hurts. Yeah. So, like, yeah, like as recently as last draft, they had to, yeah, and because, yeah, the Blue Jackets finished above of the Devils and Flyers last year and Canadians and Senators in the East alone. So, that, that hurts a lot. Do you imagine if 
like the obviously one player can only do so much, but imagine if you're like, yeah, we have Bedard and Jircheck, arguably the best forward and well, definitely and the best forward and then arguably the best defensive prospect. Cylinder would be a great young player, probably comparable to Lucas Reichel. Yeah. Reichel's like the one shining star in their in their system right now, as well as Korczynski's good. But like that would be such a wildly different outcome with those just blue chip prospects added to this. Yeah, exactly. Also, <laughs> I love the NHL. <laughs> so do you remember what pick Cole Cylinder went? Seven or something? He went 12th overall. But he was actually the 11th player taken in that draft. Because the way the NHL does it, Arizona forfeited the 11th overall pick that year. So they just said nobody. But they just said no one selected 11th. So Tyler Boucher went 10th overall and Cole Sillinger went 12th overall, even though they were back-to-back picks. That's going to cause me some problem. That's going to piss me off because that's going to affect. We're going to have to code something in our website to fix that just because of the way they fucking record it. Yeah. That's so annoying. Just absolutely beautiful. But um, yeah, sorry to get get back on track. Yeah, like Chicago could have been in so much better of a position. Again, I get that's not current management's fault or anything like that, but just kind of goes to show you how quickly things can turn around because, yeah, they were like, again, the Columbus Blue Jackets have the two guys we just mentioned, and they were in the running to get Bedard this year, too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, they'll be, if you're them, do you sign veterans in the offseason now to try to insulate Bedard, or do you just keep going hard rebuild? I think you probably saw, I think they were going to sign some veterans anyways. Like, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is like the Max Domi, Andreas Half, and the CUs that they signed last year, you know? Yeah. I guess they have to sign some veterans just to ice a team next year. Yeah. Cause like Taves is gone. Obviously, they traded Kane. Like, they're going to have to hit the floor too, I think. They only have 12 million in contracts up front next season and 19 million on the blue line. Yeah, like, and they, and 3.8 in net. So, okay, so they, they got to sign a lot of contracts. They don't really have a choice then, I guess. It'll just be trying to keep them short, I assume. Yeah, which I get, like, there could be an interesting situation for them where, like, I don't really know anyone just off the top of my head yet, but I'm sure it won't take much looking to find a couple teams that are trying to contend that probably have a salary or two they don't really want. And Connor Garland. Yeah, exactly, like. That's exactly like, who I would be calling about if I was a team of space. Exactly. And so, yeah, they, they definitely are in an interesting position, I think, next year where – or this summer, sorry, where they, they can probably go and take some some contracts off the book. Um, I don't know if the Rangers do it, but like Barkley Goudreau was kind of a name that – and now he's got so much term. I don't know if I'd want to do that if I'm Chicago, but like the Rangers are someone I would probably be looking at and say, hey, like – so anyone you don't like, because we know you guys are going to need some cap space, we'll take someone for you. Yeah. The yeah, Islanders, they're, they're another team. Again, yeah, I you don't, don't even need to add good players. You could basically try to short the Islanders and be like, hey, give us your first round pick because you think you're going to be good and we'll take one of these contracts on your hand or something. Yeah, exactly. Josh Bailey, probably. Yep. He's got another I year at $5 million. I'd do that. Yeah, Josh Bailey's all right too. You can he, he can be one of the guys. Uh, you ever play Halo? Uh, I did not know. 
Uh, one of the the very last version of like Halo Three or whatever, you can't win and you just have to stay there oh, and die yes. while your <laughs> while your team like makes it off the planet safely. You just use people like Josh Bailey to die on for you, basically. Just yeah, yeah. Have a thirty three goals four percentage and play on our top line while Connor Bedard feasts on second lines and all that. Yeah, yeah. Like I I think that's absolutely got to be the plan. So. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting, you know, how they kind of, I think they are a very intriguing team again, um, this summer. So I'll be really uh, curious to see what they do and, uh, sure it'll be, you know, really interesting to watch. I I do, I think more teams need to take the approach of, yeah, we'll eat money to get picks. And again, Chicago's a, like Chicago, it's not like they're Arizona, right. Or, you know, like Ottawa, I want to do it more often, but I get it. The owner didn't have the cash up front. So yeah, look at noted uh, noted team lacking depth, great depth player Seth Jarvis. That's how Carolina got him. Yep, <laughs> Leafs need out of Patrick Marlowe's uh, stupid contract. And Even Tavo Teravainen, the Hawks needed that. This was so long ago, the Hawks needed. Oh out yeah, of, the uh, Hawks. I forgot about that. Bickle, Bickle, yeah, like, and yeah, Teravainen obviously is unfortunately here this year, but still a massive contribute contributor for them. So. Um, yeah, second overall goes to Anaheim. I'm really curious. So the, the more interesting story almost to me is obviously, so we know Bedard's going one. That's interesting to see how they build around him and everything. Where does yep. Mitchkov land? And we talked about this last week. You know, we've already kind of rehashed it, but out of the teams picking two and three, I could really see both of them passing on, on Mitchkov because they want someone to help them right away. Anaheim's taking Fantilli, I would bet. Decent sums of money on that. And I could see the Jackets taking um, Lucas Carlson. That's who's... Yeah, a, a, a Leo Carlson, yeah. Apparently Carlson. the Jackets love Will Smith, too. Yeah, it's like... Our model has five in the draft. Like, you know, picking a guy that has the fifth best statistics third wouldn't be insane or anything if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, Mitch Cobb's Mitch Cobb. Yeah, so... And then it's what, San Jose 4? And Montreal five, yeah. yeah. So Montreal uh, wrote an article about Mitch Coffin. Montreal fans fucking want Mitch Coffin. <laughs> oh yeah, well, like I, I kind of think Seattle's probably where his slide would stop. Just or Seattle, San Jose, sorry, just because, Seattle. like San Jose's still just kind of entering the rebuild phase, so he would be the perfect mm-hmm. fit for them in terms of yeah. We don't care if he's here for two or three more years. Like it almost helps us. Yeah, it probably does help them to be honest, because then. Like it drops their floor, right? Like, yeah, you can go get uh, oh, I have no idea how to pronounce his name, but the guy who's probably who looks likely to be picked first overall next year is uh, scored similarly to Bedard but but and Mitch Cobb at the same age, right? Like, that's how you got to look if you're San Jose, yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, but if it does, it's not San Jose, I think it will be Montreal because you know their front office has done um. A good amount of smart things, I would say, since taking over. Um, granted, you know, they've taken I, they didn't... smart bets in the draft minus their first overall pick last year, <laughs> which is funny to say. And and even, you know, yeah, like I guess they're, I would have taken uh, Nemec probably as well, or, you know, I think trade right down or yeah, trade it down, I think is the, the big thing, right? And who knows how <laughs> now many... maybe no one traded up, but yeah, you know. but but still. yeah, like they weren't scared by Caulfield, which is like Caulfield was a great pick at his draft position. He should have been drafted higher, but 
teams are scared shitless of drafting players like Cole Caulfield. Well, like, I don't know how your model feels about him, but from the scouting community, from what I understand, is there's a pretty general consensus if a redraft happened today, one of their picks would be almost top five, and it's not Slavkovsky. It's not That's even lame. One of, yeah, yeah it, it's not even one of the other two first rounders they had in that draft. It's Lane Hudson, who they took in yep. the third round, I think. Maybe late yep, second. Lane, Lane Hudson in our model compares very favorably to only one defenseman in history. And that one defenseman's name is Adam Fox. I don't know <laughs> if you've heard of him, but I think that's a good sign. Yeah, not uh not a bad uh comparison to have so like that's uh again it's bigger and stuff but like the upside is so clearly insane for hudson that i think he easily goes top five in a redraft yeah him and and jeer check probably all go top five to be honest yeah and so and then you know they also picked up philip mesar uh 26th overall in that draft who i don't know yeah like i I like we watched him obviously in kitchener this year um i got to see him a bunch and like when we watched him live, I think it was what you said to me, it's like, he's just clearly better than everyone at this level, which is a very yeah. good way to put it. Yeah. He, every time he touches the puck, you can just tell he's more talented than ever in there. Yeah. 100%. And then um, um, I thought they, oh, so Owen Beck, they drafted with the first pick of the second round. So I thought they was in yeah. the first round. Beck's a good pick too and everything, but yeah. Um, but yeah. So like, it's crazy. It's more of a compliment to guys like Hudson than anything. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, like I, I really, um, I think, yeah, there's, I would be absolutely shocked if Mitch Koff falls beyond five. I, I think four or five is probably, like, if I was a betting, like, I'm going to take a look at the markets to be completely honest with you if they have them. But four or five is kind of where I might bet him because I don't think the value would be there for two or three, um, unless it gets like insanely high and then maybe look the other way just because, you know, I could see Anaheim saying we're just going to take the best player available, but. Um, I, I think I think most Fantilli. people are convinced that the best player available is Fantilli is the problem. Yep, that's a that's a very good point. Very the guy point. who's four inches taller in the Canadian center who's better defensively. I think yeah. that's a lot easier sell. Yeah, and honestly, yeah. to some extent, like I get it. Yeah, well, like even we were talking, but I think it was a month ago now. Honestly, of like the the thing is the reason there it would be absolutely insane if Mitchkov drop past three is because, or four maybe, is because anyone in this draft past those top three or four picks isn't helping you right away. They might not even yeah. help you for two years. So at your point, you're losing two years of, let's let's just say if you're looking at an eight-year sample of Gar, you're yes, you're losing three years of Mitchcock, but anything past four, you're losing at least one, maybe two years of whoever you pick there as well. Whereas with Fantilli, he might step in and be, a third line player next year or whatever, which has some value. So I understand. Yeah. Like, yeah, I get it. And just from like a pure risk tolerance perspective, like I'm sure if you're the GM, it is easier to take Carlson and Fantelli for sure. Like they'll look your boss in the eye and tell them that's the pick than Mitch Cobb. I do get that. If it, if you were hell bent on them instead, I would get it. But after that, like you said, I think it would be insane to pass on them. Yeah, and like Anaheim, I'm trying to think when they're when did they change GMs? It was a year. So Anaheim might still have a little bit of runway, but like if you're Columbus, you probably yeah are gonna have, might have a hard time signing ownership 
we could have a guy who helps us right now, but we're going to kick the can a couple of years down the road. Whereas San Jose, who just took over, and Montreal, who took over a little bit ago, highlighted that they're going to be bad for a little while and just feels like they have the buy-in for ownership anyways, probably can make that decision, you know? Yeah, 100%. And like Carlson and Fantilli are significantly more polished too. Like even if Mitch Cobb was ready to come over, I think the bet would be that those two guys would be better as 18-year-olds in the NHL than Mitch Cobb was or whatever. They're they're larger, which like bigger people was gets really overrated, but it probably is helpful right away because Mitch Cobb only weighs like 150 pounds. They're more polished defensively, all of those things. Like if you're specifically in the short term, it could make sense. Yep, I, I completely agree. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. To see. The, the only other piece of news we have real quick, and it's unfortunate, you know, maybe not the best. Um, not, I mean, it, it is what it is. Not the funnest way to end up a podcast, but Gabriel Landeskog is having a cartilage transplant in his knee this offseason and is expected to miss the entire 2023-24 season. Brutal news. You just hate to hear it, uh, see it for – one of the yeah. games most more likable players, I would say. I mean, that maybe sense. that's yeah. my East Coast bias, but like, I don't know too many people who are like Game Real and Scott. You know, I don't think many people hate the Abs in general. Yeah, and like, so um, I, I, I think this kind of it's pretty safe to say this is more than likely the end of his career. Unfortunately, um, it sounds like it. I just it like, sounds like that's something at least the Abs have to be legitimately prepared for. If nothing else. And like, let's say, yeah, like let's say even if we somehow ignored the body position, which is the knee, which is one of the most significant places to try and rehab and get back to healthy, you know? Yeah. Especially because Landis Cox 30 now, like he's not young either. And that's, that's why I was about to get to is like, even if he just like had an arm injury or like just something, I don't know, like, taking two full years off the NHL at 30 and you're going to be 31 when you get back. Like that would just be hard to do regardless, let alone rehabbing a knee to the point where it's like Mark Mathot had tweeted about it. I don't know if you saw that, but it was the same thing that ended his career. And like, yep. did I, it end Lonzo Ball's career? Did I see that? So Lonzo had the surgery yeah, and it doesn't look like he's going to be back anytime soon or might ever be back. Yeah. Lonzo but, Ball's what? Like 20, Early 20s, mid 20s, 25. Yeah. Maybe he's a little, maybe he's mid to late 20. But yeah, like he's not, not Landis Cog's age. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like it's, it's pretty shitty. Yeah. It, it just sucks, you know? And, um, cause 30 is not young, but life after Landis Cog for by the time he's 30 is, I assume, not something the apps are prepped for. No. It's about, well, I'm like, yeah, I don't. I don't really want to touch on the obviously the cap long term. We were talking about that contract might not be great, but even just from like Landis perspective, it's like, yeah, you were expected to play for eight more years, and you didn't even get to start that contract. Yeah, that's just absolutely awful. And like, they lose their captain, and yeah, like Landis Cog's one of the few constants in Colorado over the last little while. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, it's just brutal news. Um, yeah, and like again, I I was talking about the thought. Like I, I get some people go well, and like I said right away too. It's like it's not like the thought was the fleetest foot when he did play, but like just the idea. He said it was one of the most brutal rehabs ever, which makes complete sense. And again, oh, yeah. it's just well, it's, it's not like Manus Cog's super fast. 
No, yeah, exactly, right? So, like, it's, it's not like he's a burner where you watch him and you're like, yeah, he could get 25% slower and it's not a problem. Yeah. Which, and maybe argue that if he's relying on his puck skills that much, maybe it's less of a problem than yeah, a guy who relies on all the speed. But I don't know. I, I just, just generally speaking, like, I, I kind of have a hard time seeing him make the full comeback, but hopefully I'm wrong. You know, I, I'd love to be proven wrong. And, you know, but I think obviously it goes without saying, long-term health here is much, much more important. And and obviously a knee injury is not something where it's like life-threatening, but you want the dude to be able to like walk with his kids when he's 45 or whatever, right? Like, Yeah, exactly. The the issue becomes more of a long-term one than, than anything. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Like we'll, we'll analyze, I think, more in the summer what that means to the uh, avalanche. It's, it'll be interesting because it like it, – you know, again, like I, I feel bad looking at the on ice standpoint sometimes when the, there's such serious off ice issues, but like uh, it opens up what seven and a half, eight million dollars for them on the cap. So it's going to be interesting to see how they, you know, try and rejig this team to, to get them, you know, some much more needed depth that they uh, um, obviously lacked at times this year when injuries started to up. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, that's just such a large wrench and everything, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially it's like, you know, some guys where it's like once like Shea Weber, for example, even after the play, the bubble run or whatever, it immediately was like, oh, yeah, him and Carey Price may never play again. And like people yeah. like kind of just accepted that right away. It was a shock when they announced Gabriel Enscog was out for the playoffs about um, a week at a time. You know, like yeah. I think everyone and even kind of sound like the team kind of thought he would be back. So it's a lot different where, yeah, how sudden the scene and surprising versus other ones where you kind of, it seemed like the team kind of understood it was a last hurrah or whatever. So, yeah. But, hey, I mean, if it is the end of a career, at least he got his cup and went out on top. You know, that's at least a cool way to go. But, uh, yeah, here's to hoping he can make a full recovery. And if he plays again, that would be absolutely awesome. But, um, yeah, I think that's about it. Unless you had anything else you want to touch on, Chase? Uh, no, I don't think so. All right. Um, yeah, thank you, for everyone, for listening. As always, you can find my work at lastwordonhockey.com. I uh, wrote a big article just breaking down Matthews and Marner's play specifically, but also the Leafs in total um, through the first three games and why key mistakes uh, have led to uh, them being down 3 nothing. So you can go check that out. You can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66, as well as all of his work at actionnetwork.com. And his Substack, as he mentioned, he did a write-up on Mitchkov uh, today. So you can go check that out on his Substack, which you can also find on his Twitter. Um, thank you everyone so much for listening and we will be back at you next week. Bye.